hold hands and close your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Pass. Welcome to the Ghost Story, guys. I'm Brennan Store. I'm Paul Bestall. And this is the show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 173, and we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about, but can never quite reach. Paul, my friend, how are you? I'm very good. I'm enjoying the fact that the contradictory witness on Encounters, the aerial school episode, is currently being publicly shamed. I have seen this, and I appreciate this too. Fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah. Perhaps he shouldn't have said it on, on a recorded interview, his previous version of the story. Oh, well, you know, man, one thing I've learned lately is that some folks don't seem to understand that when you say something on a recorded medium, that it is, in fact, then saved. They just, and this has been happening for a long time in, in certain areas that we don't like to delve into on the show. Folks just forget that, hey, we can play the tape. But this guy in particular, <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah, I, I couldn't stand him before. And now this really kind of, kind of drove that home. Yeah. It does go towards what I was saying that he didn't see it. And I think he tried to insert himself into it. They didn't want him to be part of it. And therefore he's now gone on the attack because they know he didn't see it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think you're. Absolutely right. Uh, but we are not here today to talk about cranky UFO witnesses. Dodgy Darren. Yes, we are, we are not here to talk about Dodgy Darren. We have another Dodgy <laughs> fellow on the show today. <laughs> we are going to be talking about the deep, dark woods of Tennessee with our good friend, Brandon Snyder of the Southern Gothic Podcast. Brandon, welcome back to Ghost Story, guys, man. Thank you for bringing another cranky person on the air today. <laughs> cranky ghost guy instead of cranky ufo guy yeah no that's we, we like to we have a type it's like you were joking off air that this is what happens you bring us with adhd onto the show i got bad news for you there are now three people with adhd on this show so buckle up no, folks. listeners this one comes with a disclaimer right we we have no idea where this show is going today no no all we can promise is that there's going to be a lot of editing uh, that's going to fall on me and poor Tanya. So that's, that's all we know for sure. That and uh, I will probably, you know, and if anything cancelable happens, depending on how much Brandon can afford. Oh, we're all podcasters. We can't afford to rant, pay any ransom. We'll just cut it out. <laughs> well, I tell you, I, I've very much been looking forward to hanging out with you guys again. It is, it is always such a blast to chat and also. Uh, you know, hopefully all your listeners enjoy listening to us for at least the, the quarter of tape left over after we chop the rest <laughs> out. Hopefully they enjoy it. Because I, I, I look forward to being here and, and I'm always impressed by how much homework y'all do and, and, uh, and getting prepared as little as it seems to everyone else. That, you know, these guys are pretty prepared for this. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's the curse of doing a job well, is when you do a job well enough, people don't know you're doing it. So yeah. that's... It's a sign of a job well done. Also, the curse of a job well done. I, I used to be the office manager for a consulting company, and I did this for about seven years. And my boss would come in and he'd say, so, you know, essentially, what, what would you say you do here? And I would show him a list of all the <laughs> shit I do. And he'd go, oh, okay, never mind. And he would kind of go away again for six months because, you know, at that point, he'd forget again. As I say, when, you, when you're doing it well, no one knows. And, and that's all part of the magic. The magic. <laughs> 
As we said, on this episode, we're going to be telling stories from the deep, dark woods of Tennessee, and we're very, very excited to get there. But before we do, we have to thank our patrons. This one's for the patrons. Patrons, you're the Tennessee stud to our nameless narrator, which is to say without you, we wouldn't be able to take our particular brand of trouble anywhere close to as far away as we do. And of course, we'd like to thank all our patrons, but we would especially like to thank our latest patrons. They are... Ashley. Aaron Overbury. Nick. Peter Savage. Sassy Leo. Guys, thank you so, so much for your generous support of the show. We truly could not do it without you. Especially now, I'm now in London, Ontario. I am back to paying two rents, y'all. So, hey, you are even more appreciated than you already were, and you were already appreciated a whole bunch. And of course, we want to thank our Apple Podcast subscribers as well. We appreciate you just as much. And if you want to join the team, we'll tell you about all the cool stuff you get at the end of the show. But we will say for a dollar a month, you get an ad-free feed. Who doesn't want that? Ads suck. For more information on that, head to patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. That's patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. Or sign up to GSG Premium through your Apple Podcasts app. Again, that's GSG Premium via Apple Podcasts. And if you do sign up for Apple Podcasts and you want to shout out in this part of the show, please do forward your confirmation to ghoststoryguys at gmail.com and we will make sure to thank you in this segment. Because hey, we appreciate the hell out of you. One last thing, shout out to our composer, Jerry Smith. Jerry is a musician and film journalist from Central California. You can find his music streaming everywhere. You get your tunes as Rainy Days for Ghosts and Street Witch. Again, that's Rainy Days for Ghosts and Street Witch, available everywhere you get your music, courtesy of Night Harvest Recordings. That is the Ghost Story Guys house label. You can find more information about that at nightharvestrecordings.com. All right, now we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with Haunted Stories of Tennessee. During summers when I was a kid, We always went and visited my grandpa's cabin up in the Smoky Mountains, and my dad used to tell us stories around the campfire, and this one story always stuck with me. He'd lean in real close, whispering like he was about to share some big secret, and he said, You know, son, there's this spot by the stream not too far from here. In the daytime, it's all sunshine and butterflies, but at night, it gets downright strange. I've been there a few times and every time I'd feel this sadness like I needed to cry and I swear it felt like someone was watching me, but I never saw a soul. As a kid, it kind of creeped me out a little, but when I got to my teenage years, I started to laugh it off thinking my old man was just trying to give me the heebie-jeebies. After all, I'd spent a lot of time out there at my grandpa's place and never felt nothing like what he was talking about, but that story stuck in my head. So, one night after my grandpa passed and I started taking my own kids up there, I had this one night when everyone was sleeping, but this story popped into my head and I just couldn't fall asleep. So, I snuck out while my family was asleep in their bunks and ventured down into the wilds. The forest at night, it's a whole nother world, let me tell you. As a kid, you're scared of monsters or something, but now, as an adult, I was honestly more afraid of real critters, but... 
It's pretty creepy nonetheless. Anyway, I made my way all the way down to that stream, and when I got there, I sort of kicked myself for not doing this sooner because under the moon and the light of the stars, it looked prettier than I had ever seen it before. But just as soon as I got there and started to admire it, all that stuff slipped away pretty damn fast. My dad was not BSing me. It was like the air got heavy and a feeling washed over me like I was so sad I couldn't breathe. It felt like someone had just told me the saddest story ever. Best I can say is that it was like every good thing I had inside of me was just sucked out and all that was left was just grief. Couldn't explain it, but I stood there frozen, tears welling up and my heart feeling like it was in a vice grip. I swear to you, I was standing there for what felt like an eternity. It was like that place had a hold on me, a powerful hold. Eventually, though, I heard my wife's voice yell out from the cabin back up the mountain, and it snapped me out of it. Thank God she did, because I don't know what would have happened. A couple years went by after that, and when my kids were old enough, I started warning them about that creek just as my dad had me. But one random day, I saw a news article that said, Century-old remains found near Gatlinburg. Turns out, those remains were discovered not far from my grandpa's cabin, about a half mile upstream from where I was that night. They say that from the looks of the boy's bones and some of the stuff that had lasted all these years, he broke his leg while out there hunting and tried to make a shelter out of the side of the mountain. Who knows how long he was there, but I am damn sure it took a while for that poor boy to die because I definitely felt his sadness. Well, I'm glad we started this off on a light note with a dead child. Thanks, Brandon. That's awesome. <laughs> a dead child. Oh. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, well, this will be super easy to recover from this. This is good. Leave it to, uh, well, you know, let's just, let's just get all the macabre out of the way. It is Halloween. <laughs> hey, you invite Southern Gothic on, by God, you get Southern Gothic. So you're going to, yeah, yeah, there's a little bit of darkness here. Yeah. <laughs> Coincidentally, I was looking at a, a Reddit thread of places that people have lived that they said are really kind of vibey, you know, yeah. and Gatlinburg came up uh, a number of times. Uh, yeah. they, I've got the, the screen caps here. One was, uh, I've only been there once when I was around 10, but the entire time I was there, it just felt off. It felt like we were someplace outside of reality and everything felt very heavy. I traveled a lot when I was younger with my family and I still do, but I've never experienced anything else like it. And then uh, someone else commented and they said, yep, used to travel there frequently with my family and every time something just felt off. I'm not sure if it's because it's like a beach town, but there's no beach to be found or what. But I've never felt an energy like that, even from haunted cities and places. And uh, yeah, so I, I, I've never been. I actually don't, don't know that I've, I've been to Tennessee, but only very briefly. Is there something particularly unusual about Gatlinburg? You know, Gatlinburg, it's interesting because, you know, it's... That's the Smoky Mountains, right? And it's, it's got like all the entrances to the Smoky, or a ton of entrances to the Smoky Mountain right now. So it's become a tourist trap, right? Oh, I mean, okay. early on, very early on, it became a tourist trap when it became a national park because, you know, that's where all these lodges, all these hotels and everything. And what ended up happening is there's like this main strip down there now of just all of this tourist trap bullshit as well. <laughs> right. You know? So they've got I mean, like all the Ripley museums, they've got all these restaurants, but, but none of it's really all that high class. It's, it's, it kind of turned into like, they're saying like it, like the beach, but without a beach, that makes sense, right? Right. Okay. Think about I, if you're driving through like Pensacola and it's all t-shirt shops mm. or, you know, or, or something like that, just really kind of 
tacky. So Gatlinburg does kind of have that tacky vibe, but at the same time, that's the Smoky Mountains, right? I mean, it's, so it's this like really, really weird piece of civilization right in the shadows of this pretty epic, you know, mountain range at least. Well, epic, I know, for, for what we have here in Tennessee, right? So it's, it's kind of a, what would you call it? A, uh, not a transitive place, um, that kind of transition point between these two things. So I could see that for sure. But oh, interesting. I, I mean, I've heard a lot of stories from there though. Yeah. Yeah. I, I yeah, I'm, I'm always fascinated by places like that. I guess, I, I don't know if you'd call it liminal. I don't know if that's the right word. Liminal. That's the word I was it is. Okay. For, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I'm always, I'm kind of fascinated. I, like I know the whole liminal thing has become really popular with the backroom stuff. Yeah. But I, I'm interested in real places like that, places that have this sort of, this transient quality where nothing feels permanent. I, I think that's why I'm kind of obsessed with hotel rooms in a weird way, because they are kind of this liminal space. You know, it's your space and then it's someone else's space and it's never its own thing. Yeah. I don't want to get too deep into ghost stories or in ghost lore and go really esoteric just right out of the gate here, y'all. But I mean, Look, I mean, I think at least with the stories that I tell the most with this region of the country and in this region of the U.S. and it being the South and it being a place that was so was notoriously inhabited by indigenous people. And then we just watch, you know, folks just come in and just grab land. Right. And just push out indigenous people. Just right. You know, seeing that, I think that there's this level of a lot of the ghost stories really revolve around this idea of you know, you're scared because this shit ain't actually yours. Right. Yeah, like, yeah. This is not yours. Someone else actually owns this. And, and I think that's a kind of a classic haunted house theme in general, right? You know, this, this, we, we have this, this, we think that this place is ours, but really there are thousands of years of it being someone else's before us. And we're just the little cherry on top. So, um, Gatlinburg, you probably feel that vibe some because of it being that space where you're, you're in the mountains and it is kept pure. It's kept, you know, it's a national park, right? You know, there's, there is a lot of danger there. I mean, gosh, have you guys ever gotten in that like 411s to the national parks? Oh yeah. You know, I mean, like, you know, if you're going to go missing somewhere or fall off a mountain, there ain't no better place. We have some people who listen to the show who don't, who basically say missing 411 has been debunked, which is, it has not. I mean, you can argue that David has compromised his credibility with some of the claims he's made, and I think that's a, that's a fair claim. But uh, there is still enough, you know, I, having done, I've read about five of the Missing 411 books, you know, there's enough there that I think there's still a compelling argument to be made for, for something happening. I, I'm never going to pretend to know what, but I, I do think there is something to it. Yeah. Is that a big thing in and around Tennessee, like the, the, the missing people thing? Is that... Uh, more than anywhere else, would you say, or is it just, just kind of part of the background? Well, I, I don't know if it's necessarily, uh, you know, I'm, I'm more in middle Tennessee here, so uh, we're not up in the Smokies or anything like that. But I think that, I think that one of the vibes I get with living here, and, and I don't know if everybody feels this way here by any means, but when I first came out, you know, New Orleans born and raised, it's just flat swampland, right? And then, you know, move up here and been here gosh, over 20 years now, more than half of my life here. And the, it's, it's the, the terrain and everything's so different where he, being here in middle Tennessee, I can drive an hour any direction and I'm out in the middle of nowhere in this beautiful country, right? right? This beautiful. Um, and I think with, with something like the missing 401, it, it really, this 
parallels a lot of what we do with ghost stuff where there is so much uninhabited land. There is so much wilderness. There's so much out there that for us to think for a second that we understand what's in there or what is going on is just pure arrogance, you know, and that's my take on stuff like Bigfoot. That's my take on, you know, a lot of things of that nature as well. You know, like, like, can I really at all say that I know what's going on? Because if you fly over the mountain, you fly over the Smokies or something and you look down, I don't see civilization, you know, like there's, there's, you, you can hardly see any of that. So I don't know if there's anything in particular with, with missing for one being that active here as opposed to somewhere else, but the majesty of the Smoky Mountains and, and then the Appalachians and all of that certainly, uh, it, it gives off that vibe. Yeah. Speaking of Bigfoot, I, I saw something on, I think it was citydata.com. I was digging through the forums looking for weird shit about Tennessee. And there was uh, someone there who claimed that, that the hairy guy himself can be found in the eastern part of the state, north of I-40. Oh, yeah. East Tennessee. Yeah. Up in the mountains up there. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's part of the whole thing of the, the like ridge walking. Yeah. Right. With the Appalachians being that, that, that kind of stretch. Now, I, I always say before I talk to Bigfoot, before I talk about Bigfoot ever, look, I, I'm professional ghost storyteller. I am a, a, I do not know. I don't, I love talking about Bigfoot. However, I'm not well researched in it. I, not, you know, my knowledge of Bigfoot is watching TV shows on Discovery Channel. Okay. So <laughs> I am not, um, but that was a part of one of those ones. Gosh, it wasn't finding Bigfoot. It was like, I can't remember which, which the, it was the more scientific approach where they were mapping out all the locations where Bigfoot is. And they found that they found that you could actually track its migration patterns based on people's reports and how it like would come through the Tennessee chain of mountains. I don't want to, it wasn't expedition. It, uh, Dr. Uh, Mar Marina Meyer. Expedition was, Bigfoot. Expedition Bigfoot. There you go. You know, it, that's fascinating. But yes, there is East Tennessee down into Georgia, right? There is actually a Bigfoot museum just south of us in Georgia over there. It's not the most prolific state, but it's got a long history of, of encounters with hairy bipeds, especially as, as Brandon says on the eastern side towards the Georgian border. Because there's loads of, loads of reports in that particular area, though people would probably say it's more likely to be what is considered the skunk ape than, than Bigfoot. But you never know when you've got that kind of changing terrain from hot and humid to, uh, to glacial. Why, why could you not have two different species? All right, so this, this I, I got to know. Where are we at on thinking whether or not skunk ape and Bigfoot can get it on? Well, a dog and a fox can't mate, even though they are similar members of the same family. So I wouldn't know. Well, no, no let's, let's just let's explore this. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Brandon, this is what you signed on for. Welcome. <laughs> so now, now they can't mate. That doesn't mean, well, I mean, they, they can't. This week on Ghost Story Guys. <laughs> they can't breed, but they can't, I mean, they could theoretically mate, could they not? Oh, technically mating means for the pursuit of offspring, doesn't it? That's why. Okay, could they bang? So I'm just going to, I'm going to jump in here and say my current guilty pleasure is I've been watching the old Star Trek original series. <laughs> and as far as I can tell, Kurt can mate with um, anything. it is possible for mating <laughs> without procreating with just about any species, if you look at William Shatner. Yeah. Whilst they may be similar um, and yet genetically different, which would stop them 
mating to create offspring, then I think nothing's off the table because that's how Pizzlies have now appeared, isn't it? Oh, right. Yeah. I never thought we'd get through from Bigfoot banging to Pizzlies, but I guess it's a pretty clear through line. Because people didn't think that was a real thing until they shot one and then they realized it was a crossbreed polar bear grizzly. And people had, oh, had dismissed that for years until they caught one. So we know it happens when we don't expect it. And they're quite far removed from each other because I think polar bears branched off half a million years ago or something. They've been on their own path for quite a long time from the rest of the, the bear family. But it, it clearly shows that they've still got it in them at some level. We've no idea how many times it would have happened. Was it a freak? Was it one particular thing? But you get it now with coy wolves as well. Coyotes and wolves are crossbreeding. So I just imagine this sort of like Zootopia-esque Club Med. <laughs> <laughs> where all these different animals are just they're throwing their keys into Meet a bowl and yeah well yeah i guess uh, i did not realize i was coming on this show to get a lesson in the birds and bees from paul <laughs> well it's more like the that bears was and incredible the, the bears and the bears the bears and the bear <laughs> the finley shadows as a parent you never stop worrying about your kids not when they move out not when they have kids of their own it's a concern you carry with you your whole life. When my daughter Katie first started seeing shadow people, I was worried there was something medically wrong with her, but after numerous doctor's appointments and various tests, that possibility has been ruled out. What we're left with is the fact Katie, now 30 years old, regularly sees these creatures, sometimes in the day, but mostly in the evening. And what that means about the larger world, I do not know. Katie's most dramatic experience with the shadows came near Christmas 2012, when she was driving home from our place in Dyersburg with her husband David. David was the one behind the wheel, and Katie was in the passenger seat. It was late, and we'd actually asked them to stay over, if not at our place, then at least at the sleep-in by the highway, so they could drive home in the daytime, but they both wanted to sleep in their own beds. As I was later told by Katie, the weirdness started around Finley. The road was empty of traffic but she began noticing black entities standing by the side of the road. At first, Katie thought maybe it was fatigue causing her eyes to play tricks on her, so she rolled down the window to let some cool air in and sat higher up in her seat. Maybe 20 seconds later, it happened again, but this time she saw that on either side of the road was a cluster of maybe six or seven of these shadow people. As soon as the car drew near to them, they flitted away. David isn't a believer in anything beyond what he can see, so. Katie carefully asked him if he'd seen anyone, or anything, on the roadside these last few minutes. He had not, and when he asked why she was asking, she just waved it away, as her eyes playing tricks on her. But the longer they drove, the more she saw the figures. She began to keep track of their appearances, and realized that roughly every 20 seconds, a new grouping would appear. These strange shadows persisted at intervals for another 10 minutes, until the strangest one of all appeared. The one that ended the entire experience, haunting Katie, and me by extension, for years. The final shadow figure was alone. It appeared to be the size of a toddler crawling on all fours in the middle of the road. Katie took all this in quickly as the car approached, and as she did, the toddler turned to look at her, and she realized its head was enormous. She doesn't know exactly how she knows this, but Katie said it felt like this particular creature was looking directly at her. Moments after she registered this fact, the toddler got onto what she assumed was its feet 
and ran off the road into a nearby field. I know it might be tempting to write all this off as Katie being tired or dramatic, but years after this happened, I was talking to a new coworker of mine at the market. She was telling me that her husband had a similar experience during a family trip to a cabin in the woods outside Gatlinburg. She said her husband had fallen asleep and woken up around 3 or 4 in the morning to see the shadow of a tall man standing on the other side of the glass patio door. The man had no features and seemed to just melt away shortly after her husband started to look at him closely. She says this cabin is far enough into the woods you wouldn't stumble onto it by foot, and you can hear a car coming a mile away. I, I was curious about Dyersburg because it seemed to you know, have a very particular name. The violent crime rate in Dyersburg is double the state average and three times the national median. So uh, shadow people are by far the least of their concerns. <laughs> oh, man. Dyersburg. I, I, I sympathize because I've just moved here to London, Ontario, and the only apartment I could get is in basically the worst part of London. Again, I, I, I sympathize with them. Sometimes you're, just, you're stuck where you're stuck. Like I, I got home the other night. I mentioned this to you guys off air. I got home the other night. And uh, basically, the, um, when I pulled into the, the parking lot, there was a young lady out back just tweaking her mind out. And so I, I now have to choose which door I enter based on which one doesn't have someone tweaking out in front of it, or if they are tweaking, uh, just how close they are to the door. It's a little like that movie, Bo is Afraid. If anyone's seen that, you just are like sprinting for the door, get in there before they get you. Like, kind of like 28 days later. I thought you were saying, I need to choose which door based on whether or not I want to join her <laughs> or go inside. Uh, you know, my teeth aren't great, but they're still not meth bad. Oh, uh, we're not there yet. Podcasting's hard. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. I'm currently trying to finance <laughs> oh. a lease. And I, I was doing this in the, in the break, and uh, yeah, who knows? I might have to uh, start, well, dealing meth if not smoking it. I'm just kidding, folks. I would not deal meth. Do not send the police after me. <laughs> Y'all, please join the Patreon. <laughs> clearly, 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 Brennan is at a crossroads at this point in time. And, um, you know, there's a lot of great content if over not, there. If not, he'll be tweaking. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, look, you, you, man, all right, I, I need to hear, I need to hear Paul's theory on, on shadow. This is really, I'm just coming to get schooled by Paul today. The shadow people. What's different about the shadow people? What, what, what creates a shadow person? versus an apparition i don't know um, and i find it fascinating because i'm starting to come across more experiences where people have a positive encounter with them which i think opens up a different level of thought about what they represent because a lot of people seem to view it as a as a malicious experience or or something that they they find frightening and yet in a lot of it it's just they're just being watched as though something's just keeping an eye on them. And I know like mm. we've we've talked about the cosmic joker, the terrestrial, ultra terrestrial theories, and what, what the possibilities could be. Who's to say these aren't some kind of guardians of the land? Just because a house has been thrown up on it doesn't mean it's not still their area to look after. And maybe they just like to pop in and unfortunately what they choose to wear or how they choose to represent themselves tends to terrify the majority of people who have a meeting with their local guardian. I don't know. Their local, that's, their local guardian, that sounds scary in its own way. <laughs> I guess, I guess I, my conception of shadow people has always been such where it was almost more like those moments when like, like they're more t attached to like sleep paralysis. Mm. 
type thing, you know, awake, you know, that, that waking up and there's someone in your bedroom, but you know, you don't get the full figure. And I guess that's how I always, my first inter my first thought with the shadow. I think that's often how they're presented, right? They're, they're often when people discuss them, I, I think generally when you kind of venture out of our little circles, kind of into the more mainstream, I yeah. think that's how they're presented is just figures of sleep paralysis. But of course, as, as Paul knows, the first time I ever saw a shadow person, which was really my first, as an adult, first real paranormal encounter, it was the middle of the day, you know, middle of, middle of the oh, day. Okay, I was, I was yeah. at work and I just saw yeah. this thing out of the corner of my eye, but it was unmistakable. And it, you know, I just moved and it was a figure completely made a shadow. I didn't even know what shadow people were at the time. So, you know, again, I think that's, it, it's the, the way they can hand wave them away, you know, just, oh, they're sleep paralysis. And of course, as we know, blah, 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 blah. I gotcha. But- well, no, you're right. There's a lot of stories of like, like you're saying, somebody watching. I mean, you, you hear about them in cemeteries. You hear them about them at, you know, at, at well, shoot, you know, I, the Waverly Hills up here in Kentucky, that's supposed to be the world renowned for shadow mm -hmm. people. And it's th those shadow people present themselves as you're walking down the hallway and it's people peeking out to look at you and see. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to totally put it all in the sleep yeah. paralysis. No, no, no. Bucket at all. Well, they do that with the hat map. And I've always had this argument about the hat yeah. map is that. If this is some kind of brain-induced projection, why are they all wearing a fedora then? Why are they not wearing baseball caps? Yeah. Because the... But why is that so common now? So that was something the hat man's really interesting to me. When I talked to Jim Harold a while back, okay, and I was asking him about it from the perspective of not the paranormal perspective, but the perspective of his like collecting folklore, right? Like if there's anybody who sees what trends are and what people believe. It's a guy who invites, invites people for 20 years to come tell yeah. a ghost story, right? Like if there's anybody who sees the trends and what stories are shaping, it's, it's Jim, right? And, and, and he told uh, you, that's what, when I asked him, I was like, well, what's the new kind of, what's the thing that's really starting to come up? And he flat out said it was the hat man. He's like, just in the last few years, the amount of hat man stories are just, are just blowing up. Mm -hmm. You know, I was, I was listening to uh, Boggarts and Banshees recently, which is uh, another sort of Fortean podcast. And they were talking about the, the guy does a fairy census. The yes, host does a, I can't remember his name. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yeah, thank you. So he was talking about the fairy census. And he was kind of talking about this, about this idea that, you know, of trend watching mm -hmm. and seeing where these things are coming from, where they're, where they're shaping. And he, he actually thought that, that America is sort of like where this stuff is currently, where, where the new ideas and where the new experiences are coming from. And I wonder about that. And I wonder, you know, I wonder, is it because there is some kind of natural phenomenon happening over in the Americas that allow these things to, to morph or allow different things to come through? Or is it just that this is sort of the dream factory and is so much a culture is propagated out from here? And we are now so in a position where a lot of us have a hard time telling truth from fiction that we're sort of pushing our delusions kind of out into the world as opposed to in new encounters. And I, I don't really, I don't really have an answer, but yeah. you know, it reminded me a little bit too of, I was listening to another show uh, and they were talking about this idea that the nuclear bombs, you know, kind of tore a rift in things and allowed more entities to come through, you know? And so I, I wondered hmm. if that might have something to do with it, but then I thought, well, no, there've been there's been testing all over the world. So I don't think that's, I don't think that holds water. They'd be, they'd be flying yeah. through the skies every day, the amount of nuclear bombs the idiots have let off around the world. Yeah, it's something like what, like 2,000 <laughs> to 2,000 nuclear tests, something like that? Yeah. Over the and course of the last of, 70 years? And it would be a cross-cultural thing. 
in that regard because we've done it the americans have done it the russians have done it the chinese have done it french have done it um i don't see many french hatman stories flying around huh well i'll tell you the the way that i've learned what i've learned in, in doing just southern ghost stories right and and being in this spot here i you know i tell people what's what's so interesting in having a region like we have is that rather than you know where like where paul is right like where you have this vast history you know, with all of these stories that have just, that come from this culture that's been there for so long and developed over time. What I have with like the South here is I have this really brief period of time of like 400 mm. years where like every culture smattered mm. in, you know, France, Spain, and England all had colonies all in this is right on top of indigenous people. They're trying to knock out of their Scott Irish are getting in the, in the Appalachians. Then you bring in, you know, the African slave trade. I mean, and just so we just have this, all these cultures just all get smashed together mm. at once. And so as I look at stories, what frequently happens with a lot of them is, you know, we have these old stories that these, or excuse me, these new stories here in America that really have these rich roots back in Europe and over the, you know, in, in African roots as well with things like the boo hag, you talk about sleep yeah. paralysis, right? Like the boo hag in Charleston, right? Has this, this hag this, this kind of African hag scenario that's, that's American born with what's here. Or you have like the Rougarou in the swamps of Louisiana really go back to like French werewolves. And, and so, you know, I, I don't know if this in, uh, informs the rest of America as a country versus, or the U.S. as a country versus the rest of the world, but, but maybe there's something about this kind of uh, multicultural nation that, you know, there's so many people are bringing, you know, their unique stories that have deep roots here. And then it's getting kind of thrown in this, this pot to kind of get, you know, um, mixed together. And this is what's coming back out. I, I, I don't know if that's a theory or not, but um, it's certainly something that I see in the South, how, you know, you can, you can trace things back to originally descendants of the people who immigrated here. Of course, you could also suggest that if if we are to believe that such creatures exist that they came along with the peoples that populated the land brandon and therefore they didn't bring them in their mind yeah. they physically brought them with them because they just hopped along and came for the ride Ooh, like the vampires in new orleans you ever heard yes. that story yeah yeah yeah. With the casket yes. girls that's like i you grow growing up down yeah you know you no know no please don't Okay. All right. So back in when, when France was first colonizing, uh, well, they went to New Orleans, right? So they found New Orleans sometime around 1720. Okay. And, uh, you know, it's all like fur traders and military and trappers and stuff. And they, you know, they, they want the mouth of the Mississippi. So they want to establish a, a, a city there. But of course, you know, all the guys and all, they're starting to marry like native girls and stuff. And like the king doesn't like this. It's got to be a Catholic colony, right? So you know, so of course, what are you going to do, right? So, so they did what they actually did up in Canada as well, is, is they sent over girls of marrying age, right? Which God knows how young they were in, in that yeah. description, if you can imagine, right? But whatever. So they send over and, you know, they sent over in Mobile, they had sent over what was called the Pelican Girls, and uh, there was Lafitte Ra up in, up, in, um, up in Canada. So they'd done this before. In New Orleans, they sent what Lafitte de Casquette, okay? And so basically... What we had is this group of women were sent to New Orleans and they arrive in New Orleans and there's this legend that when they arrived in the middle of the night, okay, and they showed up that they look really sickly and pale, okay? Right. And of course, this is a long voyage, you know, and who, you know, 
like it's a long voyage. So maybe they're just sick or whatever, but they're supposed to arrive there. And there's this one convent in the middle of this, this outpost of New Orleans at this point in time. And the Ursuline nuns built this convent and they're going to take care of the women and they're going to educate, prepare them to get married. I say educate them. They're going <laughs> to prepare them to be good wives, right? And, but what they brought with them is they brought with them these, these large boxes that had their dowries that were not to be opened until they got married. All the men were supposed to take these big boxes that they called caskets up and put them in the third floor, uh, the third floor of the Ursuline convent. It was supposed to get locked away until it was time for them to be open for them to get married. Okay. And of course, after they get there, you know, there's stories about men going missing and things like that. And one day... I can't remember exactly now what precipitated it, but one day the Ursuline nuns, they, they go up in the attic at some point and they realize that these, uh, it's, it's one evening, they go up in the attic and they, they realize that all the caskets or, or the caskets, if you will, are empty. And they realize that what they had brought with them was vampires, okay? And that these women were so sickly because they were being fed upon while they were on the journey across the ocean and that, and that these vampires had gone out. So of course they, they nailed shut all the shutters of the convent and everything in the middle of the night while the vampires are gone. And, and this is supposedly how vampires came to North America was through New Orleans and this right here. So it's this old story about that. Now, you know, I, I don't know much, honestly, I I guess, I guess I lack, I I lack a better understanding some of the further back understanding of European vampires. Most of my understanding of vampires comes from growing up in New Orleans, but you know, that's, that's what they talk about. And still this day, if you go by the Ursuline convent, that third floor shutters, they are all nailed shut. And I grew up even hearing that one of them flipped open during a hurricane at one point and the archbishop went and had blessed screws or blessed nails go re-nail them shut again. And I, I grew up hearing that in New Orleans. So it's, uh, it's, you know, it's this old story about like who brought what? Did the French bring vampires like Paul's saying, or did the French bring, you know, vampires? <laughs> I mean, like, you know, like, like or, or did, did Anne Rice just make it all up down there and, uh, and turn us into a vampire mm-hmm. city? All I can say is I'm, I'm, I'm putting a blessed screw in a convent on my bucket list. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot, they give tours, by the way. Like you can go to the convent. Oh, really? I've been in the convent and they give tours. Now they don't they don't mention that though. It's still a working convent. They still have a chapel in there. I mean, so like it is it really is like it's it's still part of the archdiocese. Mm. So they're not in there talking about vampires. Right. But like, it's funny because I I just, I wonder when we went, you know, obviously we went and we were interested in vampires, (laughs) but you know, but it's like, they're showing you around. This is the convent and this is, you know, this old, beautiful, whatever. And, you know, and yada, 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 and the staircase and made of this and all. And they're teaching you all the things about the Catholic heritage in New Orleans and all this stuff, you know, and you know, there's at least like, like they see somebody like me walk in (laughs) and they're like, Oh God, not another vampire. Got the rock star hair. Yeah. 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 Well, to be honest though, surely that's the perfect cover for a group of vampires. Is it not? Yeah. Yeah. Did y'all watch, did y'all see the Demeter? The movie? I loved that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Did you? Yeah. Very good. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it too, but it's, it's, that's what the entire time I was thinking like, okay, all right, I, I see this a little better. I mean, I knew the story obviously from Dracula, but, but the entire time I was thinking about it, like, okay, I understand better this concept of why the casket girls, what that is, you know, you're basically, these people are bringing them. Now, 
Now, I will say, just historically speaking, you know, they say that this story comes from just mistranslated, like the casket versus a casket, right? Like the casket was just, you know, a box. It was like a suitcase. Right. That was really, it, it's just over time, people have mistranslated the story. But uh, you're right. I mean, look, if, if I'm a vampire from Europe, you know, can go over to New Orleans, get you some, some snacks. Some blessed screws. <laughs> yeah. I'm all in on that, then. Clearly, that's, what they're, that's where they're, they're still there. They're just the nuns now. To New Orleans. <laughs> Brennan, when you, when you hung out with Paul, did y'all hang out during the day, or was it only at night? Do you know any... Do you, I feel like you should be asking Paul this question, uh, given, given the hours I keep. Oh, 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 I've got it back. You've done a good job of hiding yeah, yourself. Yeah, Paul's the one who's got a day job. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out we're all vampires. <laughs> he did keep complaining about the weather <laughs> well yeah, yeah that, that always deserved good lord kept asking me how close Whitby was <laughs> you know how I know we're not all vampires for some reason vampires are always rich and really uh, and, and really smooth <laughs> what are you saying Brandon <laughs> they've got hair oh uh, rich Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt and, uh, and, the, 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 the and us yeah. Nosferatu. Yeah, and then there's us. <laughs> Nosferatu. <laughs> yeah. We look more like that that the Demeter. Uh, yeah, vampire, we really do, if you will. <laughs> Klaus Kinski. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. We had a little too much fun talking to Brandon. So there are going to be two stories that are just me and Paul reading them with no commentary afterwards. We ran out of time. So here is the first. The siren song of Shipley Hollow Road, in southern Tennessee, about half an hour north of Chattanooga, there's a road called Shipley Hollow. Some people call it Pittypat Hollow, but at the time of my experience, I wasn't aware of that name or the legends surrounding it. This all happened in the mid-1990s, so you couldn't just Google things. I still don't know a lot about it, but from what I understand, the Pittypat is a shadow creature who is said to have inhabited this area since the 1860s. Back to my story. At the time, I was living in Murfreesboro with my then-boyfriend Greg. One night, we were hanging out with his cousin Mike when we all decided we wanted to try looking for ghosts. We were bored, and it seemed like a good idea at the time, even though ghost hunting wasn't really a thing yet, or at least it wasn't to us. Greg suggested we first hit up the old, allegedly haunted graveyard on Shipley Hollow Road, which was maybe two hours away, and we all agreed. From the moment we made that agreement, things began to get weird. Before we'd even left, my dog Rex started growling at the doorway, pacing and whining. Then, once we were on the road, I couldn't shake the sensation that someone was watching us, and it was accompanied by a stifling sense of dread. I was driving, so throughout the entire 30-minute drive there, I tried to distract myself by focusing on the road, but this bad feeling just wouldn't go. Somewhere along Shipley Hollow Road is a stream crossed by a bridge, and after going over it, I pulled to the side of the road so we could look at the water. It was then Mike said something bizarre. He said he wanted to get in. The bridge was probably a good 10 or 15 feet up from the stream, so he'd had to climb down, but he didn't care. Suddenly, he was obsessed with getting down to the water. 
Greg had to physically restrain him from going down there and drag him back to the car. As crazy as it sounds, it was like he was hypnotised. He came back to his senses once we were some distance away and just acted like nothing had happened. We eventually arrived at the graveyard and I parked the car. As I recall, there was a gravel road going through the place, so when we got out, there were graves on either side. There wasn't much time to take it all in, however, as the three of us suddenly heard a blood-curdling scream the moment we got out of the car. It was almost cliché. It happened so quickly. Mike kept talking, trying to ignore it. But then the scream happened again, from far off in the woods. He again tried talking over it, but I hushed him. And that's when we heard it for the third time. Now much closer. It was horrifying, like a woman being murdered. Each one lasting for three or four seconds. That was enough for us. We got right back in the car and sped out of there as fast as we could. But the weirdness didn't stop. For the next few nights I woke up at odd hours feeling as though someone was watching me from the corner of my bedroom. We started hearing voices when we were the only ones in the house and the cabinets and doors started to open by themselves. It escalated to the point where I watched a shampoo bottle fly across the bathroom while I was in the shower. Although there was no overt connection, I don't think it's a coincidence that Greg and I broke up not long after this. The Bell Witch Cave Growing up down in Montgomery County, I always heard stories about the Bell Witch Cave over in Adams, and it really freaked us out as teenagers. We didn't really know about the whole thing or anything like that, but it was just a thing I thought grown-ups told kids to scare them, and it was definitely like our most popular urban legend. So the summer between my junior and senior year of college, me and some friends decided we were going to go and see the cave. They had nighttime tours back then, and it was pretty obvious that some of the guys thought they were really tough, and they wanted to show off for us, including my boyfriend at the time. You see, there was this legend that if people took rocks out of the cave, then when they left, bad shit would start happening to them. Growing up, people said this all the time, and even in the little gift shop office thing that they have, there's all these letters on the wall and all from people who took rocks and then sent them back because they got hit with all kinds of awful stuff. Car crashes and house fires and all that stuff. Scary, right? Well, the guys thought this was awesome. We were kids after all, but once we got down there, most of them chickened out. Thank God. Unfortunately, my boyfriend did not. He was kind of an idiot, and I probably should have seen it sooner, but whatever. Anyway, he picks up a rock and thinks it's the funniest thing in the world, especially because no one else has the guts to do it, and then all the way home, he's teasing everyone. It was pretty annoying. But guess what? That curse was no bullshit, and that idiot got what he deserved. Pretty much right away, he got super sick, and by the next week, he ended up in the hospital with pneumonia. But that ain't even the weirdest part. Back at our apartment, there was this nasty smell, like terrible. I'm talking about it was so bad, I thought a skunk died in the wall or something. I cleaned everything, but it just wouldn't go away. I called the landlord, and of course, as soon as he showed up, the place smelled like all the cleaning solutions I had used. So I probably just seemed like a stupid kid. But this kept happening over and over. Whenever someone would come to our place, the smell just poof, vanished. 
my friends, family, you name it. They all thought I was nuts because they didn't smell anything. It was like the smell was messing with me. And this was on top of the fact that my boyfriend was in the hospital during this time. Well, after a whole sucky week, he finally got out of the hospital and he smelled it too, but was still really out of sorts. So we just dealt with it and started sleeping in the living room. Eventually, after about a month, we thought we couldn't deal with it anymore, and he was feeling better, so one day he started tearing out parts of the wall looking for something, but there was nothing. It was so bad, and we were so depressed and fighting all the time and just miserable all the time. By this point, it was Halloween season, and something popped up on Twitter about how Adams has like a festival for the Bell Witch, and it hit me. He took that damn rock. So I told him we were going back immediately, but then we couldn't find the rock and spent an entire weekend desperately tearing apart our place looking for it, pulling stuff out of drawers and closets and all. It looked like a war zone. Luckily, we found it, and the next week, we went back to the cave and put the rock there. And maybe you don't believe me because I wouldn't have before, but when we got back home, that smell was gone, like completely gone like it never happened. So the reason I brought up, I mean, you guys have heard the Bell Witch, right? I mean, this is kind of a a classic Tennessee. So the reason I brought up this story is so right back there, I have a rock from the cave. (laughs) Oh, no kidding. And so (laughs) so when I saw this story, I was like, yo, I absolutely, I have to read this one as cheesy as it is because man, I've been there and I stole a rock no kidding. Steal. They tell you to, okay? They offer it to you. All right. But I mean, obviously everybody talks about it and all. And sure enough, I went with a pretty blonde girl and we went to the cave and we stole rocks together. It was like our third date. We're still together, by the way. About our third. <laughs> he was, however, cursed so, to become a podcaster. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, she knew I was a podcaster. So she was uh, clearly something was wrong with her already. But yeah. <laughs> anyway, this man, but this story, it's, it is, is like that place is like one of the big urban legends here going down in the cave and people talk about it and, you know, grow up here and, and hear about, you know, going over to the property and all. And it's, you know, it's, it's a classic Tennessee story. This is where I have to profess ignorance because the only thing I know about Bell Witch is the Seattle doom metal band and their album Mirror Reaper, which I quite like. That's, I don't know the Bell Witch story. That's like stoner metal too, right? Yeah. That's like the, like sludgy. Yeah. Well, the Bell Witch, so the story of the Bell Witch, this is supposedly, this is uh, the, the great American poltergeist story. It's like one of the only spirits that's ever actually killed a human. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, um, or might be right. And so essentially with the way the story goes is early 19th century. And this is out this small settlement up here in Tennessee and a gentleman by the name of John Bell, he had a large family at that point in time. They owned a piece of property and I guess he pissed off his neighbor, a woman by the name of Kate Batts. Okay. It was probably a dispute over land or something. And then she passes away and she starts tormenting him as a poltergeist essentially, right? Oh, okay. This is early 19th century. They are out in the middle of the woods. This is, um, you know, this is basically a log cabin, one of those old school log cabins where you have, you know, a room on, it's one room on each side. And then the attic space is where you live. All the beds were right. And so the kids, everybody was tormented, classic poltergeist, walls shaking, things like that. And it just happened over and over again. Um, the reason it's become such a classic story here, aside from the fact that 
the way it basically came to an end was that John Bell was poisoned. And supposedly it was the Bell Witch who poisoned him. But um, it's very heavily documented, which is what the big deal was. This was a small community, in a very early settlement, and people in town knew about it when it was going on. Okay. It was written about over the years. It's kind of got these points. You know, there's a, a lot of apocryphal stuff around it as well. Um, but it was a really, a really classic story. And, you know, you still hear about it. And it, again, if you grew up here, you know, you knew that. Now, so what today, what they do with that is there was a cave on the property that purportedly, you know, the kids would go down to. And this is, they used it as like refrigeration and stuff down the cave. So you can go visit the cave today. They have like a mock-up of what the cabin would look like and you can go down in the cave. But um, the thing they don't warn you that I found when I went, okay, it's very much, I mean, I will admit it's a bit of like a tourist trap type place as well. You know, big story. Well, here's a cave. Come visit. <laughs> right. You know, like, you know what I mean? And, and they've done ghost hunts and stuff. But what I didn't realize when I got there Okay. And what really comes with the history of the story is that, you know, these were people who just got to Tennessee and were really fighting with natives at that point. This was the frontier. This was, I mean, hands down after, after the revolutionary war, uh, you know, before the revolutionary war, at least they weren't moving West of the Appalachians. Right. And they were all just on the coast. And, you know, once, once they kicked the King out, right. They were like, we can do whatever we want. They start going West of the Appalachians and, and, um, <laughs> and that's what they're doing. You know, I mean, that's, that's what it was, right. The King didn't want them. He was tired of fighting with the natives. So he told them you can't, you know, go West. And, you know, so this family essentially is there, but when you get to the property, it, of all the stereotypes of native burial grounds, this one is totally real. They found remains on the property oh. that, that was dated. I mean, sent off and everything dated. I mean, the, the number of like arrowheads they found on the property, it legitimately was like this, this native ground at the same time, um, which, you know, again, we, you know, you can go back and forth. Is this that, that old haunting is the cave and, and all these things. We, did this come from it being sacred ground or you know, did this, this fear filled life on the frontier with fighting with natives, you know, create this, this poltergeist scenario? I don't know. But, um, anyway, you, you hear a lot of these stories around here and it's a really, a lot of the stories about pulling the rock out and, and what the bell witch is doing. Yeah. Yeah. There's several places around the world where they've got reputations for it, not taking a memento with you. I know Uluru in Australia is one where people claim to to suffer bad luck if they take it and they they get them sent back and i know certain pacific islands and hawaii there are certain areas there that people have taken rocks as they found them and and claim to be cursed by spirits or bad luck and return them pompeii in italy is another one. Oh, i forgot people, about pompeii people just take anything mm. i'll just chip a bit off this corpse the brady bunch episode in hawaii with that tiki mm. <laughs> i do not i do not know this one yeah I'm just saying. <laughs> I will say, I, I had a very uh, your old moment a little while ago. There's a, 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 an Indian restaurant here called Varsha. Huh. And I drove past it with a friend of mine who's younger than I am. And I, I said, Varsha, Varsha, Varsha. And nothing. Nothing. Not a twitch. Yeah. We're done. And I said, no, you know, yeah. the, the Brady Bunch. And then, of course, if you have to explain it. So, yeah, I'll be off to the farm running with all the other old guys. 
Well, again, all fairness, I watched it as reruns. <laughs> well, I didn't see it when it right, first fucking right. came out. I mean, yeah, like, I mean, it I was I don't reruns. think it was ever shown over here. You guys have better taste. <laughs> yeah. You had bagpuss. You didn't need our crap. <laughs> we had the clangers. <laughs> there you go, yeah, clangers and bagpuss. We had mice that oh, lived man. on the moon with a dragon. They had one episode about finding a handbag on the moon. <laughs> what? One of the greatest shows ever made, The Clangers. Oh, man. You see, I have locked myself up in this little hillbilly culture too much. I need to get online. Paul, do you remember when we were at Paramede that first night, we were both drinking. Do you remember that kid show we watched on your phone? No. <laughs> there was some brochure we were looking at in the lobby after they closed the bar. We bought all those drinks because they were closing, so we took them out to the lobby. And we were sitting in the seating area in the lobby, and there was some kind of kid show advertised on a brochure, and you were just, you lost your shit because like, this kid show, and we were watching episodes of it on your phone as we were finishing our drinks, but I don't remember what it was called. What, what was happening in it? If you tell me roughly what was happening in it, I might have There might have been, I was really drunk. There might have been puppets. So we'll have to go, we'll go through your YouTube history, which is substantial, I understand. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember that bit, actually. That's what, what, what kind of cocktails did y'all have? What were y'all drinking? I was, I was drinking wine. I was drinking wine Guinness. Wine, right. <laughs> wine and Guinness. <laughs> Real yeah. man. That's right. <laughs> Watching cartoons. <laughs> <laughs> On a phone in a hotel lobby at one in the morning. Oh. You found it? it yeah, of course I have now, I know. You should have just said it's the greatest puppet scene ever on British television. The ah! the, the Sooty and Sweep show where Sweep's and family, yes. Sweep's family turn was. up and there's like 21 versions of Sweep all squeaking at the same time. Going, me, 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 for 18 minutes. It's fucking genius. Yeah, we were, I'm just, you were just so hammered. You were so happy. You're like, oh, Sweep. Oh, Sweep. It's such a... <laughs> it's just, a, it's such a, it's such a monkey, sweet. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. cheeky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sweep's Give a me. dog and he lives with a bear called Sooty and a panda called Sue. And it's been on British, <laughs> it was on British kids, kids telly for about 60 years. They were a family, the Corbits. Hey again, this is the second of the two stories that will be presented without commentary. Blame Brandon. He's too much fun to hang out with. You thought Paul and I were bad just on our own. <laughs> Black-eyed kids on Highway 58. I don't know where you stand on the existence of the black-eyed kids, but for a long time, I thought it was all bullshit. When my friend Jesse and I were young, we were all in on ghosts. We'd look at stuff on the internet, watch ghost hunting TV shows, and... Living in Tennessee, we knew all about the Bell Witch and the Ant House near Pulaski, but ghosts were as far as we went. Bigfoot? Black-eyed kids? We were kids, but we weren't stupid. At least that's how we looked at it. Then I met one of them. Jesse and I were in our late teens, and in the summer we used to bomb around town all night in his Chevette. We'd listen to tunes, try to meet girls, get high, whatever we could get up to, you know? Well. This one night, it had to have been around 3 or 4 in the morning, when Jesse ran out of smokes. We were rolling up Highway 58 at the time, so we pulled into the Circle K across from Carter's shooting supply, and Jesse ran inside. I turned up the radio and leaned back in my seat, fully relaxed. It didn't last long, as a few minutes later, I heard a knock at the window. I looked over, and there was a boy, maybe 12, standing there. He was wearing a gray hoodie 
with the hood pulled up and over his forehead to the point where I couldn't really make out his eyes. I cracked my window and asked what he wanted, to which he replied he wanted to borrow my cell phone. There was no way in hell I was going to hand over my phone to some rando kid in the middle of the night, so I declined, but I told him he could always use the phone inside the gas station. They were pretty good about it as long as you weren't a dick to them. But the kid wouldn't budge. Just kept standing there, repeating his question. And that's when I began to notice the strangest thing. The longer he was near me, the more unsettled and scared I began to feel. As these feelings grew in me, the kid's demeanor changed. He didn't become more aggressive exactly, but he did become something more than insistent. As his movements changed, his hoodie began to slip back, and I could suddenly see his eyes. They were black, and the only way I can describe my reaction looking at them was primal fear. For whatever reason, this was enough to get rid of him. The kid quickly moved back to the tree line, and even though Jesse got in a moment later, he didn't see him. He just asked me what was wrong since I was pale as a sheet. He jokingly asked if I'd seen a ghost, but I couldn't bring myself to laugh. A Chattanooga Bridal Party A year ago in March, my friends and I booked an Airbnb outside of Chattanooga to celebrate the upcoming marriage of another friend, Marcy. The house was a beautiful rancher on a nature trail along the Tennessee River, and even though it felt isolated, it was still close enough to the city that we could still go out for the night and have fun, which we did. After hitting the bars, we returned to the house and built a fire in the backyard fire pit. To say it was peaceful would be an understatement. The crackling of the fire under that big starry sky is a memory I would carry with me forever, even if it hadn't been followed by. Well, you'll see. Eventually, the late hour and all the partying caught up with us, and we decided to head to bed. The basement of the house was set up like a dorm or a hostel, with three sets of bunk beds plus a double, and we decided to club together there because, you know, girl trip. One of us even had the bright idea of throwing on a movie, my friends fell asleep before the opening credits finished rolling. As for me, I'm more of a night person than they are, so once they dropped off, I turned out the movie, which of course hadn't been my pick, picked up my phone and started scrolling through Twitter. As I lay there in the half-light of the television, I began to get a bad feeling. I couldn't tell you exactly what it was, or why, but something felt different and not in a good way. Before I go further, I should explain that prior to this, I'd had one paranormal experience that had been more confusing than frightening. This was not the same. Putting my phone to the side, I scanned around the room and saw nothing out of the ordinary, so I went back to my phone, and the feeling subsided. It returned a while later, so again I set my phone aside and looked around to check on my friends. And that's when I saw it. Standing to the side of the full-size bed where Mercy was sleeping was a dark figure, its head bent down towards her. It felt as though my heart seized in my chest and I tried to convince myself I was just seeing a shadow caused by the light streaming through the hallway door. Deep down, I knew this wasn't true. The hairs on my neck were standing up 
and even before I'd caught sight of it, I felt as though something with bad intentions was near. Holding my breath, I texted my boyfriend to tell him what was going on. This was no help, as he doesn't believe in such things, and he told me it was all my imagination. I looked back towards the bed, and the figure was gone, which didn't help my panic, as it proved to me that whatever it was, it wasn't caused by the hallway light. In a panic, I jumped out of bed and ran upstairs to the second floor, like a small child who'd just watched a horror movie. Afterward, I kept hearing what sounded like creaking from the stairs, and I tried to tell myself it was just the house settling, but it didn't do me any good. I finally had to call my boyfriend and have him talk me down, which he did. It wasn't until the creaking stopped around 4am that I was able to sleep. I didn't sleep long, and at around 6am I woke up and gathered the courage to go downstairs for my clothes. A few minutes later, Nancy, the maid of honour, came into the room looking confused. She'd asked if I'd seen Mercy come in since I'd been awake, of which of course I hadn't. Now Nancy went from confused to freaked out. She said she'd seen Mercy, or someone who looked like her, climbing the stairs from the basement to the main floor. I suggested she go and see if Marcy was still in bed, which it turned out she was. Nancy looked pale and asked for a cup of coffee that I was making. As I poured it, she started telling me she'd had a terrible night's sleep, and at one point had had a waking nightmare where she saw someone, or something, standing over Marcy's bed. My heart dropped, and it must have shown in my face, because Nancy just stared at me. She knew I'd seen it too. Needless to say, we were happy to get out, and not investigate any further. I don't know if it's related, but just a few months later, I learnt that the allegedly haunted Hales Bar is located just two miles downriver from this location. Let me be the first to say what an absolute bastard you have to be to have someone text you in distress and for <laughs> you to just go, nah, nah, you're fine. Another one of our, our files of shit boyfriends. Yeah, yeah, we, that's a big deep file. We could actually probably do a whole show on that. I was trying to look up, I, I, like I've, I've been down there to Chattanooga, Hales Bar. We've got everything from Native American curse to a tunnel collapse that resulted in the death of children. We're right back where we started today, y'all. Death of children <laughs> here. Oh man, this is synchronicities all over the place. Just it's a, the it's wrong a TVA kind. dam. So uh, yeah. See, I know I've heard some of the stories, but I guess the train collapse is the one. You know, Chattanooga, I've been down to Chattanooga a bunch. My kid really likes going to Chattanooga. Took her out to, uh, what is it, uh, Lookout Mountain for her birthday. She wanted to go do that and go see the... Uh, oh, okay. What's the, the under... The, the Oh, gosh. Now I can't believe I can't remember what it's called. The, the waterfall that's underground waterfall. Ruby Falls. Oh, that's what it's oh, called. Okay. There's a lot of beautiful stuff out there. And Chattanooga's got a lot of, of outdoor kind of fun adventures that, that aren't quite as Smoky Mountains wilderness out there so chattanooga is a really 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 pretty place and, and a good place to visit i guess unless you bring your boyfriend well especially if he's a douchebag yeah don't bring him <laughs> I, i'm sad to say that my only experience with lookout mountain is from the drive-by truckers song oh yeah yeah well you know drive-by truckers that's um it's jason isbell right he's drive-by truckers no cut that 
<laughs> it's, it's, I think it's Patterson Hood. Might is be Patterson it? Hood and Jason Isbell, maybe. It is. It is Isbell. I, I don't know. Let's find out. Oh, fuck. He lives right here. Like he lives a couple of miles. I away have. From I here. have no input really for this conversation. I just cut that. Dude. <laughs> you know, you, that you're not going to weigh in on drive-by truckers, Paul. <laughs> Along with Yeehaw. Let's get some hillbilly rock music. Cars and country music are, are two things I know equally less about. In fact, I probably know more about country music than cars. So uh, Jason Isbell, he was, yeah, he was, he was in DBT from 01 to 07, which probably explains why their best albums were in 01 to 07. Cause I haven't enjoyed a drive-by truckers album since, well, basically I want to say, oh shit. Um, since, uh, what's it called? The, uh, since where the devil don't stay. Mm, yeah. You know, I, I, I'll be honest and maybe this is, says more about me and my getting older and not paying attention to music, but I thought the drive-by truckers were done after Jason Isbell. So, um, yeah, but he's become very popular down here. I mean, he's very, very popular in, in, around here. Like I said, he lives close to where I'm at. So he's, uh, you know, obviously, but even yeah. I've heard of Jason Isbell. Yeah. He's, okay, um, so my, my mistake, that was Dirty, Dirty South. It was Decoration Day and Dirty South are my two favorite Drive-By mm-hmm. Truckers albums. And yeah, it looks like Isbell left after Dirty South, which, again, explains a lot. Because I saw them in, I want to say 2010 or something like that. I saw them in Vancouver, and I wasn't, I wasn't really impressed. And I, again, I, they're not bad or anything. I just I haven't, I haven't loved an album since Dirty South. Yeah, Dirty South. <laughs> I, and I have to know, as a Southerner, it, does that kind of stuff annoy you? Does it annoy you when other Southerners lean into those tropes? No. Oh, no, okay. look at what I do. I mean, look at me. I look like a dirty Southerner, man. You know? <laughs> I mean, like, I, I think it, it depends. You know, those tropes are, it's interesting how the tropes are embraced in different places differently. Like, you know, Atlanta, that's like hip hop culture, dirty South. Mm. Of course, you right. Know? Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, and, and, and just so it's, it is, it's embraced differently where you're at around here. You know, my problem with, when it comes to tropes and things, I I think, I mean, Jason Isbell is actually is a really good example of this, right? Because I mean, that dude is hillbilly AF, man. When it comes down to it, you hear him talk, you hear all that. He's from Muscle Shoals down there, you know? So he is Alabama thick as mud type, right? You know, he sounds like it, you know, and all that. But I mean, he is also, I mean, I mean, part of his shtick even at this point is he's incredibly progressive, Mm, you know, incredibly right. intelligent as well, well-spoken, very active progressively. Right. So, so it's this kind of, you know, here's a guy who comes from this background and embraces this kind of thing at the same time. And, um, you know, I, I, I tell people even with, with what I do, you know, I, you can, if you come to like one of my shows or something, I even embrace kind of some of that, the mannerisms, even in, even in my podcast, you know, you'll hear, hear words that, you know, are folks and y'all, I mean, I, I don't do that. I do that because it feels natural to lean into. It mm. feels right. But right. when I started my show, one of the main things that we wanted to do, because it, it's a, it's kind of a history show first rather than straight paranormal, right? It really, it's more, it's more, you know, I take old folklore and take these hauntings and I talk about the historical context and I treat it almost like a travel show in some regards, right? Mm. And, you know, my, my thought was it's, I'm going to take these nuggets and these things that like your mama told you growing up and I'm going to give you like what really happened there. But, but I wanted to make sure when I presented it, 
that it sounded like you were hearing the story the way your mama or papa told you, right? So I, I was going to lean into this sounds like storytelling the way your grandparents in, do it, except I'm going to make sure that I make sure the vitamins and the meat or whatever is in there, you know, which is, you know, probably a nicer way of like, I'm going to tell these things and it's not going to be racist. Um, maybe that's really, <laughs> but, but, you know, like, I feel like I've done this fantastic job because yes. what ends up happening is I'll, I'll put out some shows sometimes that, that I will get a mean review from somebody saying like that I'm glorifying something of this Southern culture. That's something right. Uh, and it typically it has to do with civil war related episodes. Okay. Right. And then at the same time, it, it, I mean, almost par for the course. Okay. Um, there, there's a Robert E. Lee one recently that I got where I was talking about the history of this cemetery of the this national cemetery that was built on Robert. Anyway, somebody, you know, somebody leaves me a review or something. Tell me I'm glorifying a traitor. You know, well, then I get an email later telling me that I'm calling him a traitor, you know, and like, <laughs> yeah. so, so like, I felt like, like this was like, this was a proof in some ways of what I was doing was the storytelling was confusing this guy over here. Who's, who's, uh, who is that racist trope that was living, you know, the kind of hillbilly old Confederate, keep on, keep it alive, still wants to listen to me or still listening to, because he feels comfortable here to do it versus that. So, so I, I mean, I can't, I can't knock anybody else from leaning into it. I think it's kind of, it feels comfortable to me. It feels, I mean, it does, it feels comfortable. Uh, it's, it's for better or worse. <laughs> no, that, that's fair. I mean, it, 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 to be totally clear, I also realized that I, my stupid uh, brain has really picked up just in the couple minutes we've been talking some speech patterns from you because I realized I dropped a y'all in the A segment. And as I was yeah. saying it, I thought, where the fuck did that come from? And I realized, <laughs> okay, no, that's that's on Brendan. <laughs> well, I feel comfortable with y'all because my, you know, my New Orleans yat scent, the way I say like out sounds more like, doesn't sound Southern. It sounds like, you know, up where you're at, Brent, the out, about, you know, like, I mean, I had a, I had a Canadian music teacher in college that that always looked at me like, oh, like, like, oh, maybe where where are you from? You know, whereas we said get out. I don't know that one. That's how we pronounce out. Ah, get out. Get out. I like that better. Ah, get out. Ah, get out. Get out. Ah, get out. I can't get even. Out. Ah, out. Oh, get out. out. <laughs> get out. Oh, I just watched that movie the other day too. That was pretty good. That, yeah, talk also, about it. Yeah. A Southern, like, you know, you talk about the Southern tropes with all those, those people there, but I mean, they nailed it. They eviscerated it for sure. Yeah. Brilliant film. You know. Fabulous. I, I went to see a, a, a lecture, uh, a, a three or four years ago by a, uh, American professor who teaches cinema down South somewhere. And he did a, an, an hour long presentation, pulling back the whole secret messages throughout get out and it just blew my oh, mind cool. it blew really? my, like the bit even the bit where he's picking the cotton out the chair when he's when he's stuck in the chair it's when the bit where he's picking the cotton that's telling you exactly what he's he's is that phrase that's how he's feeling that's that's resonating through his past and i was just like oh what? Man. yeah loads of stuff like even the songs and how the song was used the run rabbit run song and how it obviously got changed over the years from what its original version and everything oh, stuff, yeah, I, stuff yeah. I've no concept of Brandon it was amazing yeah 
Oh, you know, I mean, that's a lot of uh, what I say when I do tell ghost stories and stuff down here. I, you know, I, I, I will frequently point out that I can, I can tell you what decade sometimes or, or period a ghost story was developed almost based on the stereotypes of the people in it at this point, you know, that there's just certain trends that happen here mm. based on the racial stereotype or based on the stereotype of, you know, the poorer person who's involved in it or the type of violence. And because of just, you know, the, what, what unfolded here, you know. Well, I've, I've learned more about the Southern States in two years of listening to your show than I've learned in 48 years, Brandon. So congratulations. Oh, you're my one overseas listener. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I've got two, y'all. No. Because <laughs> I listened to it twice. Oh, man. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to do it for our Dark Woods of Tennessee episode. Brandon, thank you so much for hanging out with us, man. We had a ton of fun. I know we got a lot of great bonus stuff for our patrons. And really, we can't wait to have you back. It has been an absolute blast here today. If you want to check out Southern Gothic or, or, or any of that, we are on all your favorite podcatchers, Apple, Spotify. We're even on YouTube Music now, so you can get us there. Or go to southerngothicmedia.com. All right. Again, our guest has been Brandon Schecksnyder, host of the Southern Gothic podcast. You can find him at southerngothicmedia.com, and you can find Southern Gothic everywhere. Find podcasts, live. Brandon, thanks again for being here, man. Thank you all for having me. Pleasure. Hey there, listeners. Before you reach for that skip 15 seconds ahead button, I promise you this isn't an ad. We wanted to take a minute to talk to you about mental health. On this show, I've always tried to be as honest and open as possible about my struggles with depression and anxiety, because even though we've come a long way towards acknowledging the very real damage these things can do, there is still way too much lingering stigma about reaching out for help. And when you start to feel like there's no help, it's easy to start feeling like there's no hope. But Paul has joined me today to remind you there is always hope and there's always help. We're not going to try and talk you out of self-harming right now because we know that's not how it works. Instead, what we wanted to do was tell you something now and hope that should things get bad, you'll remember it and make a phone call or send a text message before you make any permanent decisions. As someone who knows all too well just how important mental health can be. It's never too late to reach out. In Canada, the number to call is 133-456-4566. In the USA, the new number to call is 988. That's 988. In the UK, the number to call is 116-123 or text SHOUT. That's S-H-O-U-T to 85258. In Australia, the number to call is 131114. However bad shit seems, it will pass. And no matter what your brain might be telling you at any given moment, and believe me when I say I know this intimately, there are people who love you and people who care deeply 
about how you treat yourself. Should a time come when you find yourself despairing, please know that we've both been where you are, and there is a way back to the world. Take care. Welcome back. Thanks again to Brandon Sheck Snyder, host of the Southern Gothic Podcast, for hanging out with us, for uh, being a really bad influence too, Paul, because like I said, we, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it, things got fractured, uh, and it was, it was a ton of fun. Again, hanging out with Brandon, it was, uh, was a hoot, and uh, again, our patrons will get all that bonus stuff, and we'll tell you how to become one of those here in a minute. All right, well, The Ghost Story Guys is made up of Luke Greensmith, who helps us find our stories. Tanya Downing is our editor and our Facebook community manager. Joseph Camo manages our YouTube account. Sarah Kent manages our Reddit community, which you can find at r slash Podcast. Brennan Store is our paranormal fulcrum. <laughs> and of course, my friend and co-host is the one, the only, the inimitable, Paul Bestel, the paranormal Johnny Carson himself, host of Mysteries and Monsters. Paul, what's coming up on Eminem? I've got a, a, a triple hit coming up of some paranormal conversations. I've got the wonderful Dr. Kate Sherrell joining me this week, talking about spiritualism, cemeteries, and celebrity seances, uh, which says more about the people involved in them than anybody else, I think. <laughs> uh, a terribly haunted house. And then my end-of-the-month Halloween special, Ruth Roper Wild rejoins me to reveal some brand new stories from her upcoming These Haunted Times 3. So I'm looking forward to people hearing that. Very cool. And where can everyone find you online? You can find Mysteries and Monsters across all social media platforms and podcatchers everywhere. And so, Brennan, where are people going to find you outside of Nights in Jail? <laughs> I am on Instagram, Threads, and Blue Sky as Largely the Truth. You can find my other podcast, Weird Together, everywhere fine podcasts live. It's also linked in the show notes along with Mysteries and Monsters. That show is co-hosted with Joseph Camo, and we review independent horror films. You can find that by searching for Weird Together everywhere fine podcasts live. As we said at the top of the show, none of this is possible without our patrons. We cannot possibly tell you how much we appreciate every single one of you, no matter what level you support at. You mean the world to us. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And if you want to join what is truly a fabulous community of people, head to patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. Again, that's patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. Or sign up to GSG Premium via Apple Podcasts. You get access not only to our entire back catalog, which has probably at this point, there's extra conversations between me and Paul for every episode. There's host adventures, which is where I kind of, where I talk about what's going on with me in my life and just sort of ramble in, in a format I actually stole from Kev that we need to talk about ghosts. There's the sunken library, book of the dead, all kinds of cool stuff. And again, you'll find that at patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys or by signing up to GSG Premium via Apple Podcasts. And of course, if you support the show with the $20 level and above, that makes you part of an elite club. One I hope I can do justice to, with my voice sounding the way it does, Paul. Ooh, you can. <laughs> that makes you part of Ghost Force. <laughs> That's right. Patrons at the $20 level and above get thanked every second episode here in this format because by God, we love it. 
We love it in ways that are, in fact, probably quite unsavory. Ah, <laughs> uh, that was... Yep, there we go. This time around, the members of Ghost Force are... Atham Saragon. <laughs> Amy Chamberlain. Big Titty Kitty. Brent wears a pink tutu. Carrie Lambertus. Cheryl Baker. Crazy Mom. C.T. Generic Bob. Hannah Brown. Hunter Siemens. Hillary DeSasseur. Jade Moores. Jason R. Slaughter. 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 Jennifer Mullen. Jennifer Sharko. Jessica R. Linder. Joseph Camo. Kimberly Hansen. Maddie Leatherman. Mara Noriega. Mark Semler. Merlin Hansen. Michael Carney. Nicola. Peter Guns 08.5. Rebecca Brink. Robin Tian. Rockin' Ronnie Shenanigans. Rose Manriquez. Samantha Ellis. Shannon Steyer. Trent Cannon. You are the few. You are the spooky. You are Ghost Force. <laughs> For real, guys, thank you so, so, so much. The numbers of go- the number of Ghost Force patrons has, has grown. I believe that list is longer. So thank you very much for your generous support. And again, if you want to have your name read out in that bonkers segment, head to patreon.com slash ghost story guys. That is one place where Apple Premium falls short. We only have the one tier there, so we can't can't do that on Apple Premium, uh pardon me, on GST Premium. However, at patreon.com slash ghost story guys, that is where the party is happening. Bring your own ectoplasm. Just don't tell us. <laughs> don't forget to rate and review the show anywhere you can. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Castbox. It all helps and is all deeply appreciated. If you want to pick up any Ghost Story Guys merch, head to our website at ghoststoryguys.com. There you'll find our store with all kinds of cool stuff, including the Ghost Story Guys design by Catherine Holmes and the inimitable Paul Bestel design, which is my, still, my current reigning favorite. And again, you'll find all of that at ghoststoryguys.com. Shout out to our composer, Jerry Smith. Jerry is a film journalist and composer based out of Central California. You can find his projects Rainy Days for Ghosts and Street Witch streaming everywhere. You get your music courtesy of Night Harvest Recordings. That is, of course, the Ghost Story Guys house label. And you can find more information about that at nightharvestrecordings.com. Our theme song radio, Into the Darkness We Go, is composed and performed by Peter Kursov of Pizzanta Music. Find more from him by searching for Pizzanta Music wherever you get your tunes or by clicking the link in the show notes. I guess that's going to do it. We'll be back in a week. But until then, into the darkness we go. Let's do this Patrons thing. Patrons love that bit. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
And poor Tanya, she edits for us now, and I forgot to take that out the first couple times. She's like, I thought you guys were in a cult or something. <laughs> You're not totally wrong. Hey, well, we've, we've had a cult here in Sheffield once before. Did you ever see that show about the guy who thought his dad was the Zodiac Killer? Yes. You know what I'm talking about? He like yep, convinced yep. himself that his dad, his his biological father, and it turned out it's total bullshit, right? Yeah, okay. Ted Cruz's dad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think what we need to do, since Brennan, since you're moving all around, right, we need to pick a friend of ours and like turn them into a serial killer, right? Like show how, <laughs> how bad internet sleuths can actually be. But, you know, like, be like, That's okay, on the record. well, look, everywhere Brennan's been, it seems to happen. <laughs> you know, look, we've got this person. I mean, that's like totally irreverent to the dead people there and their families. However, I've known a lot of people who've gone missing and I, I was not aware that I know an anomalous number of missing people until someone pointed it out to me. So let's not push the Brennan's a serial killer thing too hard. Hey, <laughs> it's like the, the alternative opinion of murder. She wrote is that Jessica Fletcher is actually a serial killer. Because oh, yeah. wherever she goes, oh, yeah. she dies. Yeah, yeah. And she's just yeah. setting herself up so she can become a famous author. <laughs> uh, no. Eight, nine, ten. Jesus fucking Christ, you're way out of sync with us. What the fuck? My ten was 120. Is that what you wanted? Yeah. No. No. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah. What? <laughs> God, yeah. we invited a fucking idiot on here. <laughs> All right, um, let's let's go from two minutes. Let's just go from two minutes. Okay, so like two oh one is going to be one. Correct. Okay. All right. <laughs> Tanya, keep all this for the outtakes. And you know, so of course, for the kids, they want to hear. Of course, yeah. But it's it fit. It, it's the thirtieth anniversary. Like, oh my god. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. We're all getting old. I, we can no, hijack no, no. anything. <laughs> it's all right this is what we do this is yeah uh this is why recordings why we're, this is why we're here for four hours tangents right. nine ten what the fuck i'm is not happening? fucking with you i swear to god i'm not fucking with you <laughs> do you have the worst internet do you just have is it just a fucking an alligator taking messages back and forth from your computer i'm out in the tennessee swamps brother <laughs> during summers when i was a kid we always went and visited my grandpa's cabin up in the Smoky Mountains. And my dad used to tell us stories around the campfire. And this one, and, and, <laughs> I can't, oh man, I'm going to have to like not look at y'all is what it is. We All broke right. him. We broke him, Paul. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. This is the, the master of the macabre giggling. Um, all right. During summers when I was, um, Yes. I, that, my next one's going to have a shitty boyfriend. <laughs> oh, fantastic. <laughs> yeah. The great wheel keeps turning. <laughs> One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Coming up from the back. <laughs> London Chuck Snyder. <laughs> I mean, Paul's all the way on the Jim other side Prince. of the fucking ocean. Why am I? <laughs> yeah, I could literally drive to you before the end of the day and <laughs> get in my ridiculous truck and just drive right down there. Oh, God. <laughs>